evening and welcome. We are going to start a new book tonight, the book of Job. So if you want to make your way there, if you get to about Psalms, which is not too far from the book of Job's, and just go back a little bit towards the front, and you'll find the book of Job. Always a great time to start or to review and go to a new book and move on to the next book the Lord has for us as we go through um, the scriptures here on Wednesday night from Genesis to Revelation and going chapter by chapter. So tonight we are in the book of Job and let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father, we do thank you tonight, Lord, for your word and for preserving it for us, Lord. As we look in the book of Job, we know we have uh, so many important lessons for you to, to teach us and we ask that you would just Open up our hearts and our minds to receive all that you want to say to us tonight. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the book of Job, overall, we're going to look at suffering and the sovereignty of God. That's really the overall view of the the book of Job. Um, We're also going to go through the book of Job a little bit different. We're We're going to do a little bit more piecemeal. We're not going to read necessarily every verse as we get into the book a little further, uh, we're going to take pictures and snippets here and there of uh, different verses throughout uh, Job that you could see kind of clearly those pictures of the suffering and the sovereignty of God. Um, it's, uh, Job is probably the oldest book in the Bible, uh, probably predating you know the Pentateuch is as far as when Moses wrote. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Not, not the dates uh, talked about in Genesis 1, obviously, at the creation, but before it was written, uh, most, most scholars you know, believe it was um, written, uh, 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 it is the oldest book that we have. There's no mention uh, you know, of Israel or the temple or sacrifices, and a lot of people dated about 2000 B.C., and I, I kind of think it's a little bit older than that, but it, it is certainly, I think, uh, without too much argument, the oldest book in the Bible. And, and it could very well be the oldest book in human history as well. Uh, a lot of people believe that. This was the first uh, maybe recorded uh, story in, in human history. It could be the oldest, oldest book in that way. And... Um, Again, the, the whole topic, and one of the reasons it is so old, and one of the reasons I believe that this is recorded uh, so very early on, is that it, you know it's going to ask the question that everybody has been asking and struggling with since the beginning uh, of you know Adam and Eve outside the garden, uh, and that's you know why do bad things happen to good people? I think we hear that all the time and in so many ways, you know, you've had probably people come up and, and question you and say the same thing. Why do bad things happen to good people? Uh, maybe you've thought that same thing yourself. You know, I, I'm trying to do good. I'm trying to do what's right. I'm trying to listen to the Lord. So why, you know, uh, do these bad things or, or horrible things or difficult things uh, come my way? Um, you know, it's maybe like, why do the righteous suffer? And again, uh, one of the best known examples, if you would, of undeserving suffering is recorded in the book of Job. Because we really see 
you know, who Job is, what happens. We get the curtain pulled back behind the scene, which is critical for us understanding what's going on here in the book. And we see how the Lord works through all these things and all these circumstances and all these questions that will be raised. Uh, the Lord's going to speak to them very clearly in all that. Um, and, and really, it, it's kind of a shocking book because in a matter of minutes, you know, a prominent, wealthy, godly man named Job was going to lose all his material possessions, all his children and his health. His wife is not going to be any support at all. As a matter of fact, she suggests just ending his misery by cursing God. And then there's going to be anguish added to this by his friends who, rather than comfort him, really condemn him. And so we'll see that the, those difficulties kind of pile on and pile on in Job's life. And, and furthermore, really, it seems like God is ignoring Job. That's one of his complaints that he'll, that'll lodge. Um, you know, he's, a, he's asking, you know, the Lord why and why and why, and it, it just seems like, you know, he is ignoring that. And so it, it, it adds to Job's questions and his difficulties and his heartache as well through this. You know, and Job's suffering was really, you know, the whole deal. It was financial, it was emotional, it was physical, it was spiritual, uh, you know, everything was really against him. And it even seemed, you know, to him and at times that it was even God was against him whom he had served faithfully. Uh, and, and he's going to have to deal with all those things of, okay, why are these things happening to me when I am trying to do what's right? And my life is reflecting that. Uh, and, you know, God, why are these things going on? I've been serving you faithfully. And uh, the funny thing is, if you would, that, you know, Job was, was very spiritual and a, and a very moral man, and it'll say that very clearly, and even God himself will say that about Job. So there wasn't any question about, you know, him living two different lives, or he, you know, thought of himself this way, and then, you know, the Lord, well, this is really what's going on. It, it wasn't like that. It, it was very lined up. The Lord says the same thing about Job as we read here in the first chapter. And so again, uh, that he was an outstanding citizen, if you would, an upright person. And uh, again, it just brings us uh, to this supreme example uh, of affliction that really, you know, really defies human explanation. It, it, there's so much we think that everything should go right. He's doing so right. Everything... Uh, you know, should line up with that. And, and the Lord himself is saying, again, very early on in the human history of man, that that's not who I am and that's not how I work. You, you, you can't just see that and, and, and expect that. And that's one of the problems is that people, you know, uh, that's the way the world works so much of the time. You know, I do this, I do that, I get this. You know, if I do good, I should be rewarded. If I make a mistake, well, I can understand me being penalized in some way, you know, whether it's at work or something like that. You know, if I love somebody, I expect them to love me back. If I, you know, help somebody, I expect them to help me back. And that's just the way the world works so much. And sometimes we just roll that over into how we think about God. And uh, he, he's coming to show that, you know, I, I, I defy human explanation. It just does not going to make sense on those terms because that's not who I am. I'm above all that. And he's going to show that he does love Job, that he is involved, and he's going to teach uh, 
everybody since this was recorded this important lesson because even Job's friends are going to get caught up in this who are really righteous and morally and, and, and good guys like Job. Um, and, and yet they had it mixed up in their mind. And so the Lord's going to set everything straight that, you know, uh, he operates different and he's God and he, he does things uh, as we see for a lot of reasons. And that's what he's going to be talking about. I like this one uh, quote I'll, I'll put up here. And it says, um, the book of Job is not primarily about one man's suffering and pain. Job's problem is not so much financial or social or medical. His central problem is theological. Job must deal with the fact that in his life, God does not act the way he always thought God would or should act. In this drama, the book of Job is not so much a record of solutions and explanations to this problem. It is more a revelation of Job's experience and the answers carried within his experience. And so I like how that sums it all up, and that's really what it's all about. It is just learning more about our Heavenly Father and how He works through all these situations and circumstances, whether it's Job or his friends or everybody that knows Job and and his, his family and everyone. So, again, you know, uh, there's no doubt that Job has a deep and true relationship um, with, with God. There's, there's no question about that. And we don't know exactly how that was passed down. A lot of people believe that, you know, it came through Noah and his uh, three sons. Uh, he, he was passed down um, from them. Uh, he was somewhat like Melchizedek, you know, that we run into in Genesis 14, who simply appeared on the scene. It was somebody who was a worshiper and a follower of the true God. He just kind of shows up and we know he was a true worshiper and follower of God. And of course, the New Testament uh, also makes some application to Melchizedek. But he's kind of like that. He shows up on the scene and uh, you hear uh, in, in his own book. And again, um, a lot of people think that, you know, his name was, uh, you know, uh, it comes from the list in, in the book of Genesis, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But the first chapter, and the, actually the first few verses, you know, we get this thumbnail sketch of Job and his life and his possessions and, and what kind of man he is. And so with that introduction, let's look at verse 1. It says, There was a man in the land of Oz, no, just kidding, Uz, whose name was Job. And that man was blameless and upright and one who feared God and shunned evil. Now, here's a map and just gives you some idea where most people believe Ur was, which was pretty close to the area of Israel. You see that little, that little box in there in the land of the Canaanites. So, uh, you know, Ur, I'm sorry, Uz, I don't say Ur, Uz, uh, you know, was, was an older name uh, for that area, for, for the land of Canaan or the Canaanites, which it became be known as a little bit later on. So he's kind of in that area in, in the Middle East there, as we would say today, where modern day Jerusalem and Israel is today. And notice he was a man who did the right thing. And I want you to, you know, if you like to highlight or, under, or underline these things, you notice that he was blameless and upright. That's not the same as sinless. 
Blameless is not sinless, but he lived righteously. And everybody sins. We know that everybody sins and falls short of the glory of God. There's no question about that. But he lived righteously, and that's the point. And, and notice, you know, this was spoken like everybody knew this. He, there was a man, he lived here, his name was Job, and, you know, here he was upright and blameless. He feared God, he didn't do evil, uh, you know, everyone knew this. Job had a, had a great testimony. It was pretty clear to everybody that heard Job or spoke to him or ran into him or knew people that knew Job had this great testimony that he was a righteous man, that he loved God, he wanted to do what was right, and he stepped away and, uh, and turned his head and his heart from, from evil. And so that was what a great testimony this man Job has. Again, it makes you kind of think, well, you know, if he was so right and right on and doing what's right and living what's right, uh, you know, you, you think great things would, would happen all the time. There wouldn't be any troubles or difficulties. And we can learn so much from this story as we go through it. Well, verse 2 tells us a little bit more about his family situation. And seven sons and three daughters were born to him. So that gives us a little bit of a sense of his age. Um, you know, most pictures you see of Job, you see him as an old man. I'm not convinced that he was an old man. Uh, he definitely was older after 10 children. You know, if he got married when typically everybody got married probably in those days in their teens some way, somewhere, and then you add, you know, the years for having children, I, I, don't, I don't look at him as a being an old man. But, you know, it gives us a little sense of... Uh, of his age by knowing he had 10 children when this happened. Um, and he also had a pretty good-sized family here, um, and we'll see that they were very well off by how they lived in a little bit. We'll talk about that. So he was righteous, he feared God, he did what was right, he had a big family, and then verse 3 tells us about his possessions. Also, his possessions were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and a very large household, so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. So today we would say he had a huge shipping business, he had a, a farming business, he had a dairy, he was in the, the garment industry as well, um, that's what those things kind of represent to us today. And he was well known. He was famous too. I, I think if you think of like Jeff uh, Bezos or probably maybe even more so like an Elon Musk who owns, you know, SpaceX and Tesla and, you know, Boring Company and owns, you know, all these diverse businesses and probably a lot more that we don't, that I don't know about at least. And uh, so, you know, had a lot. He, he, again, the donkeys gives you the idea of shipping because that's what they did. They carried burdens. Uh, you know, he had cows and farming and, you know, he got sheep and so had a lot of garment business, we'd say today. So he was very uh, recognizable and very wealthy. Again, I just think of him as I would, let's say, uh, Elon Musk today. He was the, you know, Job was the richest guy around that whole area, just as you know, Elon Musk is, you know, very uh, wealthy today, if not the most wealthiest uh, in the world today. 
So you can maybe think of him that way. With the great and notable and important exception of Job was righteous. Job feared God. Job wanted to do uh, you know, the Lord's will in his life and serve the Lord and had a heart for the Lord. And of course, I don't know those other guys we talked about, but from what I see it here, you know, that certainly sets Job apart from them. But as far as their wealth and their recognition and their power, you know, you can think of them maybe in those terms. Um, so he was righteous. He had a great family and he had a lot of wealth and power. And now we learn a little bit more in verse 4. And his sons would go and feast in their houses each on his appointed day and would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. So we can see that these children kind of had it all. It kind of lends to me that they didn't necessarily have to work so much because they had so much. Um, Kind of like the rich and famous do today. That's kind of the sense I get. But it doesn't mean they were party animals, because it does say they would party, uh, uh, they would have a feast at their appointed day. So maybe it was, you know, when birthdays came around or holidays came around, they would kind of rotate whose house hosted these celebrations. That's the more, that's the sense that you get from here. Um, And also you get the sense that they were a close family, right? Because everybody was invited. You know, sometimes families are pretty split up and this one said this one about them and so they're mad at them and, uh, you know, that one did that to this and so they're, you know, looking to pay them back in some way. You know, families can be a big mess. But in this case, you know, it seems pretty clear that everybody was invited and it was a very close family. And whenever they had a celebration, everybody was involved. And so because... It was on their appointed day. It seems like, again, they would just rotate hosting these celebrations, these feasts, these parties, um, you know, from house to house, and everyone was invited. So, again, you get a good sense of this peace in Job's life as far as his family goes, at least his children. Um, and, uh, you know, business is going well, and he, you know, is serving the Lord with his heart. So you get this pretty well-rounded picture that, You know, things are going very well. And then verse 5 tells it, So it was when the days of feasting had run their course, so after the children, you know, had went through the cycle of these parties or celebrations and feasts and so forth, that Job would send and sanctify them, and he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. And thus Job did regularly. It also points out here what kind of dad Job was. He was ensuring the spiritual well-being of his children. He was looking out for their spiritual well-being. He was certainly the priest of the home. And notice it wasn't because they sinned. I think it's pretty clear that Job, if they had sinned and they were sinning, Job would have addressed that to their face. Notice he says, just in case, you know, inside where I can't see and I don't know what's going on in their hearts, they're, you know, they're not, you know, connected with the Lord as they should be or they did something they shouldn't have done, you know, in their hearts, I, I, I I want, you know, it to be atoned for. I want you know, them to be forgiven by God. He was, he, he was uh, careful to do that. And uh, again, that's what he was doing. It wasn't that they had sinned 
uh, overtly, but he thought, you know, they might be, and I want to make sure that everything and their spiritual well-being is as is, is, is best as it could be. And I want to encourage him in that because he would offer the sacrifices and then he would go to them and that they would sanctify themselves as well, as it says in verse um, 5 there. You know, I think it's so important that we dedicate the energy out of ourselves and onto our children and our family. I think that's just an important thing we need to, need to remember, particularly in this day and age, um, and particularly when children are younger. Uh, you know, there was an article not too long ago how, you know, um, you know, the average parent spends like 47 minutes of what they called and quantified quality time with their children. And there was specifics why they called it quality time, but it was just so little a day. And of course, now with all that we have access to on our phones and tablets and computers and everything, it just... That, that time is just being squeezed and squeezed and, and squeezed, certainly. And, uh, you know, Job was making sure that, you know, that they, uh, their relationship with the Lord was uh, important and prominent in their life, and he was doing all that he could to make sure of that. And I think that's a great example for us to learn from and follow as well, uh, setting that course, setting that pattern, and uh, being one that they can look to uh, uh, for spiritual foundation. So that's our little introduction to Job. You know, we have five verses about his family, who he is, and, and what's going on with him. And now the scene is going to change. And if you would, the curtain of heaven is going to be pulled back. This is something that Job and his friends and everybody else that's involved will not have any knowledge of at this, at this time. You know, Job didn't know this. But we get this peek behind the curtain. You know, I always like to think of the Wizard of Oz and, you know, the, he's back, great and powerful Oz is behind the curtain operating all those lights and sounds and everything like that. And you pull the curtain back and, and there he is. Well, uh, of course, in no way do I want to equate Oz to our Heavenly Father, but in that same sense of pulling back the curtain and seeing what's going on in the spiritual realm is something that's incredibly important um, because we get to have that perspective. Um, we can understand what's happening in Job's life, in, in this world, if you would, um, uh, taking into account and understanding what's happening in the spiritual realm. Uh, instead of just having an earthly perspective. And that's one of the problems as we come to the why questions in our lives. You know, as we come to those things, well, why is this going on? Or why is this not happening? Or why is this? And we, you know, we search for those answers or to have, you know, things remedied in that way. Um, again, here we see, you know, that we our perspective is just this earthly perspective. It's like Job's and, and everybody involved in Job's uh, that doesn't have this spiritual perspective revealed to them. And how important it is, because that would make you know really all the difference, uh, at least a, a big difference, I think, with happening with Job and all the people that are, that are meeting there, that you know, we have that heavenly perspective. And though sometimes maybe, you know, Instead of asking the Lord why, um, you know, and, or why not, or why is this, maybe 
you know, we can pray, Lord, give me understanding. Uh, Father, show me the perspective that you want me to have on this. Give me eyes to see and ears to hear what's happening in, 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 you know, here in the spiritual realm that's making all this kind of come to play and happen and doing all this. Lord, give me insight to that, that I might, you know, draw upon the comfort that you might give me and the understanding that you want me to learn through all this and everything else. Lord, that you would pull back the curtain and give me that spiritual realm perspective, what's happening in your realm, so that I might you know, navigate through this, that I might uh, be at peace with this, that I might learn all that you want me to learn. I think that's a, a good thing for us to remember as well. So as it's pulled back, and here's the curtain in verse 6, it says, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. Now this is really interesting, and again, it's a... Uh, only noted a couple of times in Scripture, uh, we have a couple of facts here that Satan has access to heaven. And it seems he has to report on his actions. So he's not in hell. Get rid of all those cartoons and that thinking that people have. You know, the devil's a ruler over hell and God's a ruler over heaven. And, uh, you know, they're kind of always at war with each other. Sometimes one side's winning, the other side is losing a little bit. Then it'll flip flop. You know, this side's winning and that side's losing. And, you know, he's, he's controlling everything from hell. That is not at all what Scripture tells us. It reminds us, first of all, that Satan is an angelic being. The, the sons of God... The sons of God um, had access uh, to heaven. And that we know is a referral, certainly in the book of Genesis tells us, that they're angelic beings. And so we know that he is coming along, the devil is coming along uh, as well during this time to present themselves, or I, I guess for lack of better words, to report in. But not equal with God at all. Not in the same you know, not this yin and yang thing where you're balancing, you know, good and light and a tug of war and the spiritual, not that at all. It isn't like that. Um, he is presenting himself to the Lord at this time. And uh, again, uh, there will be a time, so he has access to heaven now, but we also know in the future there will be a time when he is not allowed to go into heaven. He's literally going to be thrown out. And I'll put that verse up here in Revelation uh, chapter 12, verse 9, and it says this, The dragon, I'm sorry, the great dragon was hurled down. That ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. So as we see here in Revelation chapter 12, you know, there's going to be a point where he is not allowed and not given access or any of his minions allowed into heaven anymore. They're kicked out. They're thrown out and they're not allowed to return. And of course, if you read a little bit more in, in Revelation there, chapter, I mean, verse 10 and on, you know, the angels start saying, woe to those on earth because he's kicked out of heaven and he knows his time is short 
and you know he is going to make as much uh, trouble and evil and problems on earth as he possibly can along with all the the demons and f those fallen angels um, so one day he will be kicked out one day he won't have access but until that time here in Revelation chapter 12 uh, you know scripture seems to think tell us that you know he does have access so he is there and he was presenting himself along with other angels and fallen it seems and regular angels and verse 7 says, And the Lord said to Satan, where do, you, uh, where do you come? So Satan answered the Lord and said, well, From going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth on it. Now, again, it seems like the Lord is asking uh, the devil for a report. Okay, wh where, what are you doing? <laughs> you know, where, where, where are you coming from? What, what have you been up to? And uh, he asked him that. And remember, the Lord uses the devil for his purposes. Um, you, you know, though Satan has access to heaven now, he also, don't forget, has free access to the earth as well. Uh, he roams about this earth as a roaring lion. As a matter of fact, 1 Peter 5.8, and I'll put that verse up on the screen, says that. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So again, he asks where you're coming from. He says, I've been, you know, down on the earth doing this, looking around, checking it out. And of course, we know that he has access to roam around earth. And we know that he roams around earth like a roaring lion, you know, again, seeking to devour. That is who he is. Looking for trouble. He has an active interest in what happens on earth, and he's always looking for how he can continue to cause as much problems and trouble and heartache as he possibly can. But again, all within the limitations put by our Heavenly Father. As he, he's reporting to what he's doing and what's going on. And then, note this in, in verse 8, I think it's important, you know, sometimes we lose track of this, but then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil? Yet notice it was the Lord who held up Job to Satan, not the other way around. He's not saying, you know, uh, God, there's Job, uh, you know, I want to go get him, uh, you know, let's talk about this guy. It was the Lord that brought uh, him up, Job up to Satan, not the other way around. And what the Lord does when he brings him up, you know, hey, have you considered my servant Job? And the Lord pretty much says the same thing we learn about in Job in chapter 1. Now, as I said earlier, you know, it lines up. God, you know, God's perspective on the life of Job and what Job is really doing lines up with what everybody was seeing on the outside as well. Uh, which is always our heart's desire, right? I want my words and my life to be well-pleasing to God and a great testimony to people. I mean, that's, I think, what we all long for. I, I want to be a great testimony. I want to be faithful to your word. And I want you, uh, Heavenly Father, to see that the same way. And that is really what's going on with me. Not I say one thing and do another, or I talk 
the big spiritual talk, but my life doesn't really reflect it. No, not at all. His life reflected who he was and what he did, which was a great testimony. And, you know, the Lord holds him up. Look at this great example right here. This guy, Job. Well, verse 9, let's see Satan's response. So Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household, and around all that he has on every side? Have you blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land? But now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. <laughs> so here we have it here as he introduces him. And he introduces, uh, you know, here look at Job, and then Satan's coming back because he, he has seen Job. You know, he hasn't not noticed him. He does notice him because he responds to him right away by saying, oh yeah, Job is like that because he's a gold digger. You know, he's a mercenary. He does it, God, for what he gets out of it. He doesn't do it for pure motives. He doesn't love you. What he really wants to do is he, he does all that so that he can get something out of it. And it's sad to say, you know, um, you know and, and, and if you take it all away, he'll dump you in a hot minute. You know, he, he's got no interest to keep that up. If he doesn't have that, then why would he even bother to serve you or worship you or love you or, do an, or live righteous or any of that? He'll leave you in a hot second. And it's sad to say that there are people like that. You know, how many times have you heard, or maybe even said it yourself, uh, you know, well, and the person will say, oh, yeah, I used to go to church, but I don't anymore. And, you know, all this stuff happened, and I really prayed hard for, you know, God to change this, and nothing happened. And matter of fact, it got worse. And so I just packed it all in, and and just left it all behind. I mean, how many times have we heard that? Or maybe even in our own mind have said that or, or thought that. Uh, you know, I, I'm not getting anything out of this, and so why be involved? Why continue to go to church? Why read the Bible? You know, things are falling apart. They're not getting better. And so, you know, what's the point? And um, again... That's the accusation of Satan. You're only, you know, if you don't get anything out of it, uh, then you're, you're not going to do it. You're not going to be, if it's only what you get out of it, the reason that you do it. And again, that's just a lie that the devil puts in the heart of believers, you know, a lot. He's always continuing to, to say you're no good and that, you know, you're just doing this because of this and, you, you know, you don't have any pure motives or you don't really love, you know, God. You don't care about the Father. You just want to, you know, this or that or whatever, that you're just doing it for what you get out of the deal. And uh, he's always looking to wreck the lives of the believers. And that's one of the things he does. Um, you know, he, he looks at us and says, you know, um, and, and really gives us this condemning uh, speech, just like he did to uh, God here about Job. But he'll whisper those same thing in our ears uh, and through various means, certainly not necessarily directly, but he'll do it through various means. 
And, uh, you know, you're right. Who are you? You're no good. Remember when you did that? Remember when you said that? Remember when you acted that way? Remember when you really blew it here and you failed there and you should have done that? You know, it's just something good for us to remember. That's what the voice of Satan sounds like. Because the voice of the Lord, the voice of the Holy Spirit is, you know, not to run us down and make us feel about an inch off the ground and how stupid we were, how foolish we, you know, became or how unspiritual we acted or reacted and all that. You know, his desire is to move us closer with our Heavenly Father and to show us forgiveness and love and restoration and exhorting us to draw closer to him. All those other things, the, the condemning and you're no good and this and the failures and you blew it here, you know, are, are all just to put you down and make you feel worse and really kick you when you're down. Just remember, you know, you can discern the voice of the enemy pretty clearly when it comes uh, in that form. And you say, oh, that's just the enemy, you know, because that's not what my Heavenly Father's like. That's not what the Holy Spirit is leading uh, me as a believer. I do love the Lord, and I'm not doing it for what I get out of it. I'm doing it for what He's given to me, and it's a response out of the love He's shown me, and, and all those other things. And we just need to remember, He is out to wreck people's lives. And we have it here in the Old Testament, and then also, of course, the very famous verse in the New Testament, in Luke chapter 22, you know, that talks about Peter. Uh, when Jesus is ready going to the, 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 the cross and, and Jesus says to Peter, hey, the devil's asked to sift you. But Jesus said, I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when, you're, you know, when you've turned again, strengthen your brothers. So remember that happened in the New Testament as well. That's a great example here with, with Peter. The enemy wanted to knock Peter out completely and totally because of his denial, as we know a little bit later on, it'll happen in the, and later on in that night, he's going to deny Jesus three times. And, and that he wanted to use that as a knockout blow, and of course the, the Lord wouldn't let him. Jesus said, I've prayed for you, and you know that your faith is not going to fail, and it wasn't going to fail, because when you turn back again, when you've, you know, uh, were forgiven for what you've done and you turn to me again, then I need you to strengthen the brothers, saying he was not going to fail in this. He was not going to let that be the knockout punch. And just, we need to remember that. The same thing happens whether it's in Job or with Peter or any other uh, hundred illustrations we can give on that. You know, I think of this sometimes. The devil... You know, when he looks at the believer, you always think, oh, what, you know, what's the, what's going on behind all that? I think, you know, he, he looks and he sees in the life of a believer their happiness, and he's amazed at this relationship that they have with the Heavenly Father, this intimacy, this, you know, uh, the, the bride of Christ, the, the sons and, uh, and daughters uh, of the King, uh, uh, of God Himself. And then he looks at the misery of his own soul, you know, and so he admires, you know, and hates the peace uh, uh, and the love and the relationship and the happiness, uh, you know, in the soul of a believer. And I think that's what, you know, really, you know, gets, uh, you know, his, his anger, if you would, up. And then, you know, he, he, just like he did here with Job, he's, he's always looking for some fault, 
You know, he can always push the button on something. Well, you did this, and you didn't do that, and you said that, and you acted this way, and you really blew it over here, and you really messed up there. And it's just like there's something that he, he just, you know, makes him feel better about his own black soul, you know, that, you know, oh, look at you, look at you, look what you've done, look what you've done. And again, we know that's the voice of Satan. When, when you have that person look at you and pointing to this and look at you and pointing to that, look at you pointing to this, you know, whether we hear it in our own mind or somebody, some other way or form, just know that's what the devil does. You know, I, I had that happen, uh, well, I've had that happen a number of times, but one in particular time, and I just remember pointing this out, pointing this out, and man, I was feeling like every point out was like a notch down, a notch down, you know, I was like this tall as an ant about by the time it was ending. And, and then, you know, I thought, wait a minute, that's twisted. That's not really accurate. That's twisted in order to make it look uh, that bad and that awful when it really wasn't. But it really was something that, you know, certainly there's truth behind some of it and it was wrong and bad things, but I've been forgiven. You know, what, what, what am I going to allow those things just to, to, to knock me out? Because that's the voice of the enemy. Lord, if you've forgiven me, uh, why do I worry about the tax of the, the enemy coming in? You know, I, I, you can, I can fall back, we can fall back, and Lord, you've forgiven me. You don't hold those against me. You don't count those all up like he does or others might do. That's what he wants to do. He wants to condemn us, and that never comes from the Lord. Just remember that. It doesn't come from the Father. It doesn't come from the Holy Spirit. He doesn't do that. Well, he makes the accusations. God holds him up. He makes the accusations. In verse 12, says, And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has in, is in your power. Only do not lay a hand upon his person. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. So again here, we see Satan had the power and the desire, uh, you know, all along to afflict Job. But what he did, what he lacked, was God allowing it. You know, when God allowed it, he was more than happy to take the job up and really mess up Job. And, uh, but he was very limited on what he was allowed to do. Remember that. He knew about Job because he immediately went right away to accuse him of that, so he knew about Job, but he couldn't do anything about it until God gave him the permission to do that, and then when he did, he gave him limits. And so again, the important thing for us to remember is he, Satan can do nothing unless the Father allows. Nothing. He has to have permission. He has to have permission. But that's probably going to bring us back to that question that we said in the beginning, well, if it all comes through him, why does he allow it then? Why does he allow the enemy to come in and do certain things in our lives? Or, you know, one of his minions, the demons, or this or that. Well, we are told in the book of James, you know, there's a couple of lessons that we learn by this. And James 5.11 says this, As you know, we consider blessed those who have persevered. You've heard of Job's pers perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. 
The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. One of the things that James says here is that one of the reasons and one of the lessons that we learn from this is perseverance. He allows certain things to come in that we might learn to persevere, that we might learn to continue to press forward, that we might learn to continue to run the race and not let things or situations distract us or knock us off the the race course, if you would. He he has to get permission and God gives it to him. And one of the benefits is that, that we might have perseverance, that we might continue to move ahead might continue to to move ahead in in all that he has for us. And again, that we might learn the important lessons, what the Lord finally brought about. That he might see some special revelation that we can only get through those trials or through those difficulties or through that persecution. Yes, we gain perseverance and we're more faithful and we're stronger in our faith and we're more rooted in it. And and then, you know, we learn these important lessons about when he takes us through and we're on the other side, we learn, you know, so much more and we're, we're, we're walking so much deeper and we're more in love with him because we see what he finally brings about through those circumstances. And that is certainly true here as we'll get through both of those things at the end, when we read, uh, you know, chapter 42 of Job or 41, and, and we're reading about all those things that he persevered through and all the important lessons that he sees and in the revelation that he gets of our Heavenly Father that couldn't have come any other way. So why does he allow it? Can't say specifics, but we can tell you there's important lessons that we learn from it, and James tells us of at least two of them. Okay, back to our story here, and now we're going to see what the devil does, you know, when he gets a chance from the Lord. And let's read what he does here in verses 13 through 19, and it says this, Now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, and a messenger came to Job and said, The ox were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them, and the Sabians raided them and took them away. Indeed, they have killed the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone escaped to tell you. And while he was still speaking, another also came in and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I alone escaped to tell you. Verse 17, And while he was still speaking, Another also comes in and said, The Chaldeans formed three bands, raided the camels, and took them away. Yes, and killed the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. And while he was still speaking, another also came and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, and suddenly a great wind came from across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell on the young people, and they are dead, and I alone have escaped to tell you. You notice how crazy this is, and how swift, uh, you know, the work and the destruction uh, of, of Satan is until it's complete? I mean, one guy comes in, Joseph's, you know, we get learn a little bit about where his children are, they're at the oldest brother's house, and then Job is, you know, at his house sitting there, and all of a sudden the servant comes in and gives him this news. Would he just 
gets it out of his mouth. As soon as he finishes that sentence, another one comes in and tells him about this. And then before that guy can finish, another one comes in. And before that guy can finish, another one comes in. I mean, it's just a one, two, three, four, all in the period of, I don't know, 30 seconds, a minute. And, and true to his character, he is destroying and destroying as completely and as quickly as he possibly can. That is the enemy. That's what he does. And notice what else the enemy does. Look at verse 16. Uh, you know, right in the middle of there, even one of Job's workers, their perspective was that the fire that consumed the sheep and, and the people tending the sheep or shearing the sheep, whatever they were doing, all the workers around there, their perspective that this fire that came was from God. And it shows that at least some of the times that Satan wants to work in such a way that God will be blamed for what happened. You know, we used to say in the insurance, not we, but when I was growing up, you know, and I don't know how many years ago it changed, but not that many. You know, if anything happened, what we call natural disasters today, they used to be called acts of God. You know, a hurricane, a tornado, a flood, a landslide, a this earthquake, this or that, they used to refer to them as acts of God. And, of course, that was completely wrong in the sense that, you know, everything destructive and out of people's control uh, came from Him. But again, uh, you know, that's what people think sometimes. Uh, you know, they think it's God in some way. And, and, and people will blame God for those things. They'll say, well, yeah, okay, maybe he didn't do it, but he could have stopped it. He could have stopped it from happening, and therefore I'm mad at him. I'm not going to speak uh, about God anymore. I'm not going to tremorine, but I'm just going to cut him out of my life completely because of this, and he didn't do this, or he didn't stop this, or he didn't change things around. But notice it is the devil and the enemy that does it. And, of course, um, you know, if you've been reading through the Bible and the New Testament in the year along with us, you know, we just went through Romans 8 just a few days ago that he's working everything out for good. He's going to use those things for what's good for us and those around that we know us and love and care. And, and that's what he does. And he's working them out for our good. And he's using those for our good and for the good of others. But notice how this destruction and this horror ends up, basically. Job loses everything. He has nothing now. He owns nothing. All of his children have died. And he is sitting there, maybe like this picture shows, just on a, on a bench there. And, you know, if you stop for a second, can you even imagine any worse circumstances? You know, maybe you thought you've had it tough. And maybe you've had had it tough. But I, I can't think of too many worse circumstances than, than this. It gets, this is, the, you know, some of the biggest and the greatest. And so know that. Um, know that. You know, we, sometimes we always think we have it the worst, but we know that, um, man, there's always somebody that has it worse than us. Well, let's finish up with this. How did Job react to all this that happened? And it says this in verse 20. Then Job arose, tore his clothes, shaved his head, and fell to the ground and worshipped. And he said, Naked 
I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all that Job did, uh, all that jo- all this Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. You know, I, I really love this. That you know, Job, after hearing all this, seeing all this, is heartbroken. He is very upset, and he's showing it traditionally how they did in the East there, in the Middle East. He tore his robe, he shaved his head, and, and he was showing you know, his mourning in a real tangible way on the outside, and certainly his heart was broken on the inside. But notice what he does. Lord, all that I have is yours. You gave me everything and anything, and when you choose to take everything or anything away, that's okay. You gave it to me, you can take it away. It came from you, you can choose to do whatever you choose to do with it. What an attitude. You know, we get mad when one thing goes wrong at work or somebody has a bad attitude or is mean to us in some way or, you know, somebody cuts us off on the freeway or does this or does that or, you know, hurts us in some way, says something cutting and hurting and, and, you know, everything kind of just falls apart and we get really upset. And yet, you know, Job lost more arguably than probably most people that we know and, and yet his heart was... And had this great attitude. Lord, you gave it to me to begin with. I'm gonna, I came into this world with nothing. I'm going to leave this world with nothing. I can't take anything with me. And uh, I know you've blessed me. I know you've taken away. But I'm going to choose to love you no matter what the circumstances and the situation. He didn't charge God wrongly. He didn't blame him. And he didn't even complain about him. Man, what a great example for us. Now, he is going to get upset and he's going to say some things and he's going to do some things as we go a little bit farther on to this book. But, you know, his first response to all this is, you know, Lord, you choose to give, you choose to, to take it away. Whatever happens, it doesn't matter because I'm going to love you. I'm going to worship you. Uh, I, I am going to be, uh, you know, my heart is with you no matter what no matter what happens, good or bad, or anywhere in the middle. I think that's something that we all need to learn and understand and grow to know. And sometimes that, that can only happen, and we can only see that about ourselves, is when we're in those circumstances. You know, what, what's really in our heart, what really matters to us, what's really most important. And, and really, the only way you know that for sure is when you're like Job and it's all gone. What are you going to do? Are you going to go over here? Are you going to do that? Are you going to act this way? Are you going to respond this way? What are you going to do when, when things are really messed up and going wrong? Where do you turn? And I think, you know, we're surprised most of the time of ourselves when that does happen. And we say, you know, Lord, no matter what happens, I'm going to love you. I'm going to serve you. I, I, I'm looking forward to heaven with you. Um, you know, you're God in heaven, you know what's going on, I'm down here on earth, and I just want to live for you and trust you, and that's what I'm going to do. And I think how important it is for us to understand and have that perspective, and to pray for that. Lord, no matter what happens in this life, I'm going to love you and worship you. Nothing in this life can change that. And that's exactly what happened with Job here. 
Well, we'll move on to what Satan does in chapter 2 next time, but let's, let's go before the Lord. Father, we do thank you for this time, again, just revealing and pulling back the cover of uh, Job's life and what's going on in heaven a little bit, and we'll learn more next time and as we go through this. But, uh, Father, we do thank you for that great example. We thank you for that heart, and uh, though that scripture uh, you know, might be underlined in our in our Bible, I pray that it be underlined in our heart as well. That no matter what happens, Lord, we're going to love you. We're going to serve you. We're going to be with you. Um, nothing can change that because it wasn't founded on what I have or what I didn't have or what's done or what's not done, what's been given to me or what's not been given to me. It was found completely aside from all that. And therefore, I, I, I can't allow that to affect my relationship and my love for you. And I know when the rubber meets the road in our hearts, Father, uh, you know, we know that to be true. Because when we came to you, we didn't come with any expectations other than the fact that we love you and we're thankful and grateful in faith for what Jesus did for us on the cross. And we just wanted to know you more. And so whatever happens from that day until the day you take us home, you know, it can't change that because it wasn't based on like Satan's accusation of Job. It wasn't based on what we get or what you do for us. It's based on who you are and what you've done for us and saving us and loving for us and paying for our sins and drawing us close and calling your, uh, us your children. And so, Father, always help us to have that perspective, Lord. Help us to renew that commitment with you, Father. And always be reminded of this. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.